Thanks, Thank Russ. you. Okay, good morning. If you're new with us, so cool to have you. Um, last week, I kind of did a prelude to the series. I, I, I said, uh, I woke up the one day during holiday and I just went, enough. Like, I want to take my life back. I feel like COVID stole it, then looting stole it, then something else stole it, and everyone stole it, and I want it back. I want to grab hold of my spiritual life. I want to go big or go home. You know, just that sense of, I want to grab hold of what God has for me this year. I want to see salvations. I want to see healings. I want to see the power of God work in my life. And I just, I just woke up the one day and went, enough. I'm kind of drawing a line in the sand. I want, I want this back. And then last week I said, you know, if you want that, if you want to grab hold of all God has for you, there's a disproportionate difference maker. It's when you make your life about reaching others. And that kind of sets us up for 111 hours because lots of you, every time I say 111 hours, everybody goes, isn't that like a movie about bad things that happen? And other people, that was 127 hours. And people are just, you can see, here's where 111 hours comes from. There are 168 hours in your week, 168. You should sleep for eight hours a night, 56 hours a week, 168 minus 58, 112. And you should be here for at least an hour. So 111 hours left. Now, some of you mess up the maths because some of you sleep like four hours a night. Please sleep more, you're grumpy. Uh, some, some, of you, uh, some of you come here to sleep. May God bless you. We're here to serve you. <laughs> some of you, uh, you sleep way more than eight hours a night. It is time for you to get a job and move out of your parents' home. But uh, most of us have 111 hours, and, uh, and what we do with them matters. You know, the Bible says a whole bunch of stuff. It says, make the best use of the time because the day is evil. Make the best use of the time, walking in wisdom towards others. Make the best use of today, not worrying about tomorrow. Make the best use of the time because today is the day of salvation. Scripture's huge on what you do with your time. And uh, the thing about this year is that one hour cannot make a life or the life that you want to live if you don't tweak the 111. The 111 is where rubber meets road. What you do with your hours in the week. And, and this is what I deeply believe. If you tweak elements of your 111 hours, you will be able to look back on this year, on this life, and go, man, that was a good life. You'll be able to stand before Jesus one day on judgment day, knowing that you're saved regardless, but knowing that I've got something to give back. And I'm expectant and confident to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so this series is about how you tweak those 111 hours so that life flows. But in this series, we're going to be talking about, about two elements. We're going to be talking about gathering and scattering. Gathering into the presence of God and the glory of God to be empowered by God and scattering to be sent and to pour out and to give out and to reach out. This is what the conversation is going to be about. What gathering and scattering, breathing in and going out, breathing in and going out so that your life flows in that abundant life that Jesus speaks about. So that's where we're going. You look unconvinced that this is going to be a good series. It is going to be so good for you. 
Now, let me, let me tell you the problem. My wife, uh, for Christmas, bought herself. It's always a bad start when she bought herself for Christmas. But she bought herself uh, an alarm clock that she talks to. Um, so she, she will say, Alexi, wake me up at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Um, Alexi, remind me to phone Sue tomorrow too. Alexi, what's the weather going to be like? And, uh, and this stupid alarm clock will speak back to her. You know what happens when I speak to the alarm clock? Nothing. At all. It completely ignores me. It is completely dialed in to live for the glory of Amy. Cares nothing about me. I kind of worked out that it's okay because um, Amy has the alarm clock and I have a daughter. Uh, I, you know, some, I don't know what it is with girls and dads, but girls just love their dads. So my, my little nine-year-old, she's gone now, but she just, she wakes up, she makes me breakfast, she makes me drinks. She, she just, like she adores her dad, so Ams can keep her Don alarm clock. Uh, I have, I have a daughter. The, the thinking is, everything in this world is designed to glorify you so that you will give it something. That's how the world works. We live in this, in this culture where if you want to build a business, what you do is you find a product that will serve and glorify a person so that they feel good about themselves. And they feel like that product meets their needs. Do you remember when schools just existed as schools before they became businesses? Do you remember that? You can tell something became a business when it started getting marketed. Everything in this entire world works on this principle of let me make a product or let me convince you that I have a product that you need that will glorify you. And so we, when I turn on Netflix, I get excited because I only watch Scott Skitton Donna. Some, I left a letter out somewhere. But I only watch movies that would suggest I have anger issues. And, and I know that when I get onto Netflix, the next thing that's going to come up is an angry movie. It makes me so happy. Everything is kind of designed to make me feel glorified except for Christianity. See, this is what makes Christianity so utterly uh, against the grain, countercultural. Because everything in Christianity is not about me, it's about God. Everything exists to glorify God in Christianity, which is why Christianity in the West is becoming countercultural. Because in Christianity, it's not about you, it's about Him. So let me read you some scriptures, and don't worry, this will get happy again, just be sad for a moment. In 1, Chron uh, sorry, 1 Chronicles 16.23, it says this, let the whole earth sing to the Lord, each day proclaim the good news that he saves, publish his glorious deeds among the heathen, tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols. But the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Here's going to be the big idea for, for today. You were made to glorify God. This was the entire purpose of your life, 
to glorify God. Now, it's going to get worse, then it's going to get better. I want to read a couple of other scriptures to prove this. I mean, these are littered all the way through the Bible. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Well, how's about this one? Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. <sighs> Feels a little bit egocentric, huh? Like what's up with God that he needs all the glory? It would be egocentric if God needed it. But this is what God knows about you. And many of you know this, but don't worry, it's gonna get to you a little bit later. That God knows that he made you to worship something. He made you to worship something. There will be something that you wake up in the morning for. Whether it's a sport or the weekend or traveling or a promotion or there is something that you wake up in the morning to live for. There is something that you're going to give your time and your energy and your money to. There is something that you are going to live for. The thing, that thing we call, that we live for is the thing we worship. And here's what you know, especially if you're older. Nothing really satisfies the soul. Like, I mean, marriage is beautiful, and it's wonderful first six months, and then a little bit down the line, you'll never divorce, but murder's an option. <laughs> Children are absolutely amazing. I mean, I love that beautiful little child. But let's face it, if God didn't put supernatural love into our hearts for our children, by three, they'd all be up for adoption. Like, it's just, uh, the glory fades. The promotion fades. The new thing you got for Christmas fades. And the longer you live, the more you realize the things that you put your hope in fade. The glory fades. And God knows that. And so God goes, my glory never fades. My glory goes from one level to the next, to the next, to the next. And your soul will be constantly disappointed if you live for any other glory but mine. You have to make my glory the center of your life. You see, you were made for God's glory. Now, here's where it's going to get a little deeper. Today's a, a little bit theological. The rest of the series will be lots of fun. God doesn't just know that, uh, that he can meet your need for glory. If you, if you listen to the words that Jesus in the text, it says, honor and majesty surround him, strength and joy fill his dwelling. You see, the, the incredible thing about God, and this is why he's so worthy to be glorified, is God doesn't just have joy. You know, some of my mates have joy. Some days they're happy. Livy, look at her little smile. She has joy. It is, it is delightful. Just when she gets out there and the heat hits her, she will have Less joy. It's just, but God is joy. That's different. He doesn't just have love. He is love. He doesn't just have wisdom. He is wisdom. So when we glorify him, what begins to happen is it rubs off. And God knows we need the rub off. Now, there are three elements. Here's the big principle for today. You were made for the glory of God. The first part of that 
is that you were made to know the glory of God. Let me just read this text again. 1 Corinthians, I mean, 1 Chronicles 16, 28, it says, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord, which means know, recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. The word glory, it is the Hebrew word kabod, kabod. What it means is weightiness, a weightiness. Now, let me try and describe to you how this impacts your life. When you start to find an interest in Christianity, like you're sussing it out to see if it's the real thing, like some of you are today, you see the glory of God at a distance. You'll see it through a sunrise. I think we've got an image of a sunrise. You'll look at a sunrise and you'll go, wow, that's glorious. Something glorious must have made that. Or you'll, you'll look at a mountain and you'll go, that's magnificent. It's glorious. Someone must have made it. Or you'll look at the cosmos and you'll go, that's unbelievable. There must have been some design behind this. And you will know of someone glorious. But then what will begin to happen is you will start a relationship with God somewhere down the line and the glorious force out there will become a glorious presence somewhere here and when you meet him really, you will feel a weight. You will feel a force of his presence. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. We live in this world where, I don't know if you've heard this, I often hear people say, I can't believe in a God who. Or if there's a God, he must be like. You do that when God is a force, a cosmic entity out there that makes glorious things. But when the weight of his presence comes, when you feel that weight in us, something begins to shift. And you go from trying to define and thinking important what you think about God to thinking it important what he thinks about you. See, when the weightiness of God when you experience the weight of God, the only reaction you can actually have is this one. Now, some of you, you've been Christians for a long time. You've felt the love of God, but you have not felt the glory of God. See, when the, when the glory of God fills a room, and some of you are gonna feel it today, when the glory of God fills a room, there is a weightiness. And the weightiness is a force of a person. You know, I was at the rugby yesterday. It was, it was really cool. It's like seeing proper crowds. It's amazing. It was just, it was wow. And I, so I'm sitting with my boy, and he says to me, he says, Dad, I would love to meet even Elizabeth. So I know some of the rugby guys, so I don't, I don't know how the conversation came up, but then he says to me, he says, but Dad, I'm really scared. So I said, why? So he says, Dad, can you imagine his hand? <laughs> you know, for most men, if, if you shook his hand, it would just like rap. Make you feel very insecure. When the glory of God comes, it's way more than a big person or a big personality or 
you know that feeling that someone with a, a big name walks into a room and you start to feel a little insecure? Well, if you could multiply that by millions, when the glory of God comes into your presence, you become aware of a weightiness that is so substantially bigger than you than all your stupid theories about who he is and how he should behave and all of that. They just go out the window because the weight of God comes in and you realize in a moment, I exist for you, not you for me. And I remember I, I, I got saved and I experienced the love of God. It was so, it was so unbelievable. I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And then, um, it's funny, because uh, I, when I grew up, we didn't understand grace. The, the teaching was basically you had to work for God, which helped us quite a bit, um, to be honest, because I remember hours and hours and hours after I became a Christian, crying out, begging God to fill me with His presence, because I didn't know that His presence was given by the grace of Jesus, but I begged. And, uh, and through that process, God began to change me. But I remember one day, I got grace. God changed my head. And, and I, I remember going, I'm not trying to work for you anymore. And I was worshiping in my room. And uh, it, was, it was the first time in, on my own that I'd felt the weightiness of God. And uh, whilst I was worshiping, I felt this weight come into the room. I, I don't know how to describe it to you, and for some of you, you're just going, this is properly weird. But I felt this weightiness came into the room that made me scared for my life. I just, it just put into perspective. You were made to know that weightiness. You were made to know the glory of God. Every single person here was, you weren't made to know about God. Yeah, it's obvious. You were made to know the glory of God. I want to take a little bit further. You weren't just made to know the glory of God, you were made to need the glory of God. There's this Old Testament story about Moses, potentially one of the most significant stories in the Bible. Israel has just been pulled out of Egypt, and even if you're not Christian, you've watched the movie, so you've seen this. They get pulled out of Egypt through a lot of miracles, and they come into the wilderness, and Moses takes them to Sinai. And he disappears up a mountain for 40 days. And so the Israelites need a God. They don't have Moses to show them God, so they need a God. So they go back to their old ways and they take all the money, all the gold that they've plundered out of Egypt that God's given them. You know when God gives you stuff? God gives them money and they turn it into an idol. Unfortunately, what we often do, we take the provision of God and we turn it into an idol. He, they make it into this gold calf, and God's mad. And so Moses comes down, and this is what God says. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Here's what he's saying. He's going you know what, I'm going to give you all the things I promised. You're going to have the good life, military success. You're going to have all the provision. You're going, to, you're going to be blessed. Everything you touch is going to work. You're going to get the land. Everything's going to be yours. Just, I'm not going, because if I go with you, you're dead. Yoke suck, I'm going to sort you out. If I stay with you, I better remove myself. You know, sometimes as a dad, you have to say that to your kids. 
best I go so you stay alive. Like it's just, that's how the conversation's going. Now I just want to throw some, a thought up here. This is the life that a lot of people actually want. You want God, but you don't want the tabernacle. Like you want his blessing. God, please make sure that my business grows. God, please make sure my kids turn out okay. We get into those schools. But, but the tabernacle thing, can you just keep that over there? And God comes to Moses, and you've got to get this. He's in a flipping desert. I use the word flipping to make the point. You ever been in a desert? Like, you think it sucks. It sucks more. It's dry. There's no life. It's not pretty. They tell you it's pretty. That's because they had one millisecond to take that photo as the sun was setting. Like, it is, it is rough. He's with a bunch of grumbling, complaining people. And this is what he says. Potentially one of the most powerful statements ever made. He says to God, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You know what he's saying? If you're not going, I'm not going. I won't take all the promises that you have for my life. I won't take the good life without you. I need your glory in my life. I need your glory. You see, what's happened to Moses because he's come into the presence of God and he's felt the weightiness of God again and again and again. He's felt the glory of God. Now he's going, I can't live without that. I can live without that. I can't live without this. Some of you have lived in a desert for the last little while, and I want to say to you that the desert time, because I've gone through a desert time, the desert time is the time in which you realize the intimacy and the glory of God. Because you need to, you were made to know the glory of God, and you were made to need the glory of God. And Moses goes, I can't go if you don't go. And then there's a fascinating moment. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, I'll do this very thing that you asked because I'm pleased with you. Don't like them, but you. And I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one will see me and live. Now, hectic sermon. Justy, can I borrow your frame? Just come all the way. Justy looks a bit like Moses and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I look like a Hawaii father. <laughs> Moses, I'm going to be God for a moment. This only happened once. Moses says to God, I'm not going to go unless your presence goes with me. And then he says, show me your glory. He's been in the presence of God 
a whole bunch. And God says, I'll tell you what, you can't see my face, which is not really his face he's talking about. The, the word panim, it, it, it means face, but it, it's more, you can't see into me or you'll die. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk past you and I will speak my name to you and you will experience my goodness. You see, in the glory of God exists a weightiness and a goodness and a character, attributes of God. And so he says, I will cover your face and I'll walk past. And when I get past, you will see my back or what I leave behind, the wake of me being there. And that is so powerful that Moses comes down a hill and has to put a veil over his face because his face is shining like light and it is freaking everybody out. Now we learn a couple of things. Thank you, you were amazing as a, as a prop. <laughs> we learn a couple of things from that. We learn the glory of God is the goodness of God, the weightiness of God, the splendor of God, and the character of God. We learn that there are levels of glory, which is why Paul says, I am changing by beholding your glory. And I go from one level of glory to the next to the next, but there is a level at which you no longer exist. But our job is to go deeper and deeper and deeper in our realization of who God is and his weightiness. You know, when I was preparing this message, I was running through it this morning and I started to feel the weightiness of God. And I believe that many of you will feel the weightiness of God today. You'll, you'll experience it because you were made for the glory of God. You were made to know the glory of God. You were made to need the glory of God and you were made to declare the glory of God. See, there's, a, there's the, this template for life that we see in the New Testament church where they come together in these corporate meetings declaring praise and honor to God and the weightiness of God comes into the meetings and sometimes with tongues of fire. In Acts 4, the weightiness of God comes and the building shakes, which I don't want. But the weightiness of God comes in Acts 10 and People are filled with boldness. And you see this again and again, the weightiness of God. It comes to Solomon and people literally all fall down. All the priests, imagine me not talking for ages because I've just fallen down. It's the, this weightiness of God. You are meant to get it by coming together and then you are meant to declare it by going out. You are meant to get it, be filled with it, be touched by it, by, be framed by it, and then you were meant to proclaim it and tell people about it and say to people, I know you don't believe about God, but man, this weird thing happened at church today. I can't really explain it, but you I can feel it. And I need to tell you about Jesus. I don't know why it's not me. Or when the person's struggling, just go, man, I know the presence of God. Would you mind if I pray for you? See, this is glory being outworked. 
the glory is supposed to come in and go out. You're supposed to be empowered and sent, gathered and scattered. Breathe in, breathe out. It's supposed to happen in life groups. It's supposed to happen on Sundays. It's supposed to happen pretty much day to day, which is why on the 21st of February, we're doing like a fast day, the whole day. Imagine not eating for a whole day. And then at night, we're going to have a praise and worship evening where we expect more of the glory of God, where we live in the glory of God. But you were made for it. Which means that we're going to end this service expectant for something of the glory of God to touch you. But here's the catch. Salvation's free. Jesus paid for it. Glory costs. See, the reason that Moses got to see so much is because Moses had got to the place where he said, hey God, I'll stay in the desert with these whiners as long as your glory stays. Glory costs. Now I want to speak to mature believers or those who've been Christians for a while. Some of you come to church going, I hope he's inspiring today and I hope worship's cool you are not living for the glory of God. I love you. But if you're a mature believer, you should be coming into church with such expectation that you literally lift the spiritual temperature of the room with such a gift and attribute and longing for the glory of God that people sitting next to you feel the weightiness because of you. If you're being a Christian for a while, your role is to carry the glory of God. If you're kind of starting this thing or you're like sussing it out a little bit, you've got to know that there is a glory that God wants you to experience even today so that he can use you. You see, there are people who walk up to me Sometimes when I'm having a very bad day and all they do is sit and I change. What's that? That's the glory of God. You're supposed to carry it and be it and live in it. And if this church is going to be who I think we're called to be, then the glory of God has to be a weighty presence that people feel because we carry and people experience because we go. And so we're going to end this in worship. Justy's going to come up here. I don't think they know what they're going to lead, but they are going to sing a song of worship. And here's what I ask that you pray. If you're sussing out Christianity, you, you're like, Ugh, I wonder if this is true. Pray this prayer. God, if your weightiness is real, please show me a bit. Please reveal yourself to me. But I think this message is for so many others who are saved. I think this message is for you to just realign. To just maybe pray that prayer as Moses prayed. God, if I don't get married, but I keep your presence, I'm staying. God, if I don't get into a healthier work culture, but I keep your presence, I'll stay. 
God, even if this marriage is really going to hurt me, but your presence is here, I'll stay. God, even though that's really scary, if your presence will go with me, I'll go. God, even if this costs me my life, if your glory is there, me too. You see, this is, this is the giving up so that we can get. And you're called to live for something more than just you. And so as we sing this song, I believe that God's gonna pour his glory out. And for some of you, you need it so much because you were made for it. So wherever you're at, let's respond, let's stand, and let's, let's do some, some stuff with God.
Why don't you just put a hand on someone next to you? Jesus, I pray that your glory will mark this person. If they don't, if they've never felt it, I pray that they'll feel it. If they've never known it, that they'll know it. But above all, mark them with your glory as a sign and a wonder. As they go out in their 111 hours, may you fill them with your glory. Amen. May you be blessed.